Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Listening, hear me. I may not pass this way again. Hello and welcome to the Robert Lane Creative Careers Podcast, the podcast about creativity and making a living in the arts. This episode of the podcast features a conversation with writer-director Richard Miller of Body in the Box Productions. You can learn more about Richard's projects online at bodyinthebox.com. You can find me and the projects that I'm working on at robertlaymusic.co.uk and on social media as Robert Lane Music. Before we get to the conversation, I'd just like to play you a bit of this. It's a brand new song called Pass the Day, which is available now on my website, robertlaymusic.co.uk, and will be released on all of the streaming platforms on the 31st of March. It would be fantastic if you could rate, review and subscribe to the podcast as doing that helps more people to discover it in the future. It would also be lovely if you could share it on social media and just let anyone who you think would be interested know about the podcast. Thank you. Here's my conversation with Richard Miller. Hi Richard, how are you? I'm excellent, thank you. Yourself? Yeah, very good, thank you very much. Um, Yes, (laughs) not bad at all. What are you working on at the moment? What have I interrupted you to be doing? Has today been a... A productive day. What have you been up to? Uh, just the just the day job that gets in front front of uh, you know the interesting fun stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, recently completed feature film, which is now being distributed. So that's that's pretty much that's pretty much done now. We've handed that over to distributors, etc. So um, yeah, my my time my creative time is is very free to uh, to renew. Um, so yeah, repeat is the film that we've just completed, full feature film. Um, after doing a few few shorts before that, but yeah, since the new year, it's been um, yeah, it's been pretty much freed up. Okay, well, a couple of things from that then. First of all, with repeat, then you've just handed that over to the distributors. How much of your life does that represent? What's the the investment in time? <laughs> that that how far back are we talking from the start of that project? Yeah, good question. So it's probably it, time goes so quickly when you're doing stuff like this because you you're, you're so in it, and it doesn't seem like it's this long, but it's it's going to be three years from start to end, which seems incredible. Um, 
but there's the writing part, the making part, and then the editing and getting rid of it part. Um, so that was really the three portions, a year of writing for me, because I'm an incredibly slow writer. Um, and then, yeah, the actual making of the making of the film, including your pre-production, etc. And then, and then, and then the getting rid of it, which is hopefully a very small part because you've got something that's worth, you know, somebody picking up. So three, yeah, three years um, to go around the houses to give you an answer there uh, <laughs> is pretty much the the total time invested. And that's interesting that you kind of think of it in those three blocks then. So the 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 idea and the writing, the making it, and then the, I guess you could call it the selling it or the, the getting it out there to people. Do you have a favourite of those three to be to be working on? Or the, which is the which is the easiest, which is the most challenging? Yeah, it's, yeah. so I would say, that, again, you could chop it into smaller pots when you're talking about making a film because it is production and pretty it's production and then post-production, the actual making, and then you've got writing before that. So if you chop it into another half again, I really enjoy the actual production and the post-production for two different reasons. So the production, because you there's not many art forms, unless you're in a band or something like that, um, where you get to share making stuff with somebody. Mm. So um, working collaboratively on a film is just really fun. Um, it's massively stressful um i say stressful i don't tend to get stressed but it's massively engaging on the brain you know you don't have any free time when you're trying to um actually make a film especially if you're filming in a a small block which we did for repeat um but for the the post-production side of it is is exactly the same for me I, i enjoy it just as much because you are the opposite way you're shut in a room and it's just you and the film and you're putting together thousands of hours of um of clips and making a jigsaw out of something um so again to you know i'm not going to give you short answers i'm afraid but that's that both part both parts for me of that now the start of writing i find really really difficult um and it takes me ages to do it but i have to have a passion for what i'm making Mm. and if i've written it it's going to be something that i'm deeply invested in and interested in so that's why I tend to write my own material. Um, and, the, and the selling part, um, I'm not too, isn't too bad. It's about getting the right deal um, with, with the selling part and making sure that you are going to get what is said in the conversation when it comes to the contract. And that's, a, you know, that's, a, that's the challenging part. And it's where a lot of film, indie filmmakers uh, will find that they don't get the returns they need. Um, so, yeah. Mm, thank you. Okay, that's great. So let's talk about the writing then, first of all. Um, what's your writing process like for you? You say that you find that you're, it takes you a while to do that. Is there a perfect writing day or a perfect writing setup? Um, and are you going from the blank page or is there an idea beforehand? How does it work for you when it's working well? Yeah, um, I I think my my style needs to or, or is complete is continuously evolving you know i'm not i'm not a writer by trade um but writing a script is for me a lot easier than would be writing a writing a book because it is you know you're describing what's happening and then you're saying some sentences rather than having to and knowing that that can be quite concise rather than having to be very flowery because i'm going to be the one who's directing it so i can fill in any blanks so the writing side for me if i was to hand my script to somebody 
it would be very different. I would have to write it in a very different way. Mm-hmm. You've, you've got to write it well enough that you can hand that script on to an actor. Um, and we had some really high quality actors for the film. So we had the original script and then I had to make it a better script, even though most of it was in my head, to hand to somebody else to get that level of actor on board, even though it probably wasn't going to make a massive amount of difference to what was going to end up. But for the, for the actors to be able to envisage the world that you're creating, it's more for, more for them. So you've got to think of other people when you're creating the script as well. So um, a, perfect day, a perfect day for me is um, just having any idea at all about getting 10 pages down, which is just really difficult to get 10 pages, 10 pages in a day. But if you can, that, that would be a perfect day mm. of just getting getting three or four scenes that you're really happy with that you can see even if they're just the first draft that you've got you've got something there that's you're going to be able to build from um and i think yeah just seeing just seeing like the bare bones taking shape for me even on a first draft is pretty much the best you can have you know it's easy once you've got your first draft down to then build upon that and then put the meat on, which is really the fun. That's the fun bit is the second draft. But if you, I think the hard bit, if you can get the hard bit of getting a really good bare bones structure of just a few scenes together, that that's very, very um, encouraging. And it's, uh, it, it just sets you up for the next time you want to sit down at the computer and then and, and start, start writing that. But yeah, for me, it is a white page and just sit there and, and start planning. You know, you get, ideas here and there walking around but for me i I tend to just let things flow Hmm. okay and how close is the final film saying the case of repeat to that original first draft second draft script and at what point did they does it change what in which part of the process if it does yeah so excellent questions by the way these are great (laughs) i'm enjoying this um so from a what is where it evolves is your read-throughs with your actors. Again, when you're working with really high-quality actors, they bring something to the party that you haven't thought of. So you may get improvisations or you may get just things that aren't on the page are the differences. So things like what what the character is doing in the space they're in not necessarily the words they're using, but but the but but the way that they're blocking themselves, or the way they're moving, or, or picking up a pen and fiddling and changing their performance. It's that that's the difference in the in probably what we had with repeat. It was very very similar to what was in the script, very similar to what was in the script, and then the changes really come from the actors' performances, and then what doesn't get into the film when you get to the edit. So repeat was a really tight script, but still you end up 10 minutes over. You know, we wanted a one hour 30 film because that sells. If you're scroll, scrolling through Netflix or uh, for Amazon, you see a one hour 30 film, 90 minutes. It, it takes that it takes that question away. Do I want to sit there for an indie film and watch that long? So you have to fit it into that amount of time. So it's mainly what you shave off is what what changes, what don't you need, what's not essential, mm. especially when it comes to indie films. And if you want to sell it to a distributor, the tighter the film is, the easier it is to get sold. 
Mm, that's interesting. I've noticed on Netflix recently that they've actually now started to list 90-minute films. That's like one of the yeah, categories that fun. you can browse through. Yeah, and it actually does work, doesn't it? Because we we have an agony of choice at the moment with all stuff, don't we? Like film, music, and all the rest of it. Um, and that's interesting, actually, for an independent filmmaker then. It's a bit of a balance, isn't it? We Anybody in the world, in theory, can watch a film. And you can compete with any other film in the world, which sounds good. But then on the other hand, you're competing with every other film in the world. So how do you find the balance of that? Are we in a positive situation at the moment or is it very, is it too hard? What do you think? I think that, that yeah, the, the, it, 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 there is both. When, you know, when I was a filmmaker, when I made my first film, compare that, that first feature that we did with our, our friends in a in a bedroom and, and a couple of other places that we turned into like a flat stage and you know we we had a, a bright laugh making that film but there's a lot of filmmakers that that have made that quality of film which is you know it's not the best quality and we look back at it, it was really fun and quite entertaining to watch even today but there's still a lot of filmmakers that are making that sort of quality of film but they've now got the ability to be able to stick it on a load of platforms like Amazon Prime right. so you've got a lot of lower quality stuff that sits sits on prime that you've got to like rise rise above um and that's what you've got to be able to do when your budget's as small as ours was for repeat is show that you can use your resources to look like a film that is five times the budget that it is um you know people look at our film and go oh, it's a low budget film they don't know how low a budget film it is they would have no clue that you know i mean it were quite open we spent around fourteen thousand pounds on our film in, in total um they call a hundred thousand pound film a no a low budget film ours is really a no no budget film when you count it as, as that um but that and that's in total you know that's buying a new pc as well to edit the film on so a lot of those expenses are wouldn't be counted in in the budget yeah. of the film really as well it was because you get to use it for the next project but we've got to look at how much can come out of the bank and so that's how much we spent to make the film ourselves it, the real budget was lost a lot less really um but you're going to have to make though every pound that you've got or dollar whoever's listening to this or wherever else other country you might be listening bitcoin um whatever yeah. country you're you're uh, watching it from as well you, You've got to make every single every single coin that you've got show on that screen. Um, so production design, for example, is essential um, to raise the bar on what you're making because you've just got you've just got to stand out as much as possible, um, and that, and that goes for your trailer as well. Make sure the trailer is as good as possible. All your artwork, make sure it, it looks as professional as, as it can be. Because you've got to stand out from the crowd because there's just so much content. Like you said, there's so much content there. So, yeah, the 90-minute thing was – everything was on our mind of how can we sell this film afterwards um, with the budget that we've got. You know, even the genre to a degree, although I love sci-fi, picking a sci-fi, picking a thriller or a horror, um, historical historical films of, of, of type like um, – sandals and swords type of films they sell really well you've got to you've got to pick what what audiences want to see and they're not too worried about the budget being mm. a bit lower because they'll just be entertained so but but basically make sure that 
that that's the first thing to see. But also, you've got just got to make a quality product as well, because you know, our film turned out with pretty you know decent reviews because we we actually cared about what we were making. Um, because reviews will put people off if you start getting a hundred one one stars on uh, on Amazon Prime, it's going to put people off. So make a quality product and just again just make quality across the board as much as your budget will let you i think to just to try and stand out because there is a lot of drops great okay thank you and you mentioned then the film's a science fiction film so special effects and that side of things how achievable is that on a a no budget film then does that make things difficult or we're at the point now where the technology is quite accessible for independent filmmakers yeah, I think I think the technology is definitely accessible. For, um, I mean, ours is a lo-fi sci-fi, so we try and keep the the the, the effects to a, a, an absolute minimum. But I know some very good special effects people that um, that can do absolutely amazing things with a home computer. Um, so it really comes down to the skill set of the filmmaker and the people they're associated with, because I think you can make absolutely incredible looking sci-fi films for for next to nothing now um if you've got the right people on board to do it we always we were never planning to make ours a spectacular sci-fi film it's much more cerebral one but um yeah i think it is within people's gift now to to yeah basically their 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 imagination is what what the limitation is Mm. up to a up to a degree obviously Mm. great um you mentioned as well that you you were able to attract some uh, quite big names into the film as well. Um, so Charlotte Ritchie, Nina Wadia yeah. were in part of the film. What was the process of selling the film to them then? You mentioned that the script had to be something that they could look at and I guess just get their head around and understand what you were doing. But there's also a level of looking looking like you're for real, isn't there? Because, <laughs> because no actor wants to sign up to something that's not going to get finished or that's going to be a pain in the arse. So how do you go about selling it? in that sense yeah um we well uh this was the first film that we've made that we had to um full-time when i say full-time not full-time in our film but full-time producers that's all they do they just produce films direct films um their their full-time job is that and they've worked in film all their life so we were lucky enough to be able to, to give them a list of uh of names that we're looking at for multiple parts of the film um, and then also ask for suggestions, and we had some great we had great access to actors that we wouldn't have thought we'd ever be able to get hold of if we didn't have those contacts. So having two producers on board was the first key because they've got a name behind them. They've worked on stuff before, yeah. which we hadn't to be able to have that CV, if you like. Um, but then it really was beyond their their their, their skills and links. It was down to um, the script. They literally just sent the script to both um, Nina's agent and Charlotte's agent, and the agent said, "Yeah, you've got to look at this," and forwarded it on to them. Um, so it was it was as simple as just making sure the script was as good as possible and something a little bit different, I guess. Mm. Great. Okay. Um, and then when you're combining those actors with the other people in the film so have you got some actors that you've worked with before or was it an entirely new cast to you of other people i think you had some i hate using terms like this but local actors that kind of we know what you mean by that kind of thing um were they people you'd worked with before or not 
Well, actually, yeah, actually, there was there was a couple. There was only really a couple that we had that we'd worked with before. We had uh, uh, Gavin Fowler, who I've used a, a number of times on um, short films. Uh, absolute great guy, fantastic actor. Done again, has done film and TV um, for, for many years now. Um, and um, yeah, another another guy that was Michael, who was over from from Nottingham. But really, it was. Sorry, my dog's barking. I'll wait for a second. <laughs> That's the dog saying, you didn't cast me, unless you did. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to get in on it. So, yeah, so we so we had uh, Gavin Fowler, who was a, an actor that we'd used before in short films, and um, Michael from Nottingham, who's just down the road from us, we'd used in short films before. Two really great guys. Um, but other than that, we, we tried to mix it up because it we, we had fallen into or it's easy to fall into, you use the same actors over and over again because you have a relationship and it's easy to do. But we wanted to, again, again, like expand our um, our network and, 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 and try something different. So a lot of our actors were actually probably silly were from all over the UK. Um, so our lead actor was from Birmingham. We picked him from uh, another science fiction film that he'd been in the year before called Cosmos. Um, again, made for absolutely tiny budget, but that was filmed over a much longer period of time. Um, our film was filmed in three weeks. That was filmed in something like two or three years that they were filming it over, actually filming it. Um, and the rest of the cast were from all, all over the country, which had its challenges as well, because we filmed it in COVID. Um, so there's lots of challenges with that, but we wanted to get the best cast we could, um, regardless of the, you know, if they'd been in X, Y, and Z. They were just excellent from their show reels and excellent from their self tapes hmm. uh, so we didn't limit ourselves to just say we had to have named actors we just we wanted to have good people on screen um that would also you know hopefully advance their careers in a little way hmm. definitely okay for people who who may not have been involved in an independent film then could you paint the picture for us you're there for three weeks you've got your cast as you've just mentioned what's the crew how many people are there doing that side of stuff so again um usually we would have a we'd have a crew of um three of us uh, which would be myself and grant on the camera and laura and my partner kim um sort of behind the scenes doing just everything else every the job that you would have uh, including sound for this film we did have a we did have a sound recordist as well um and that's from the film feature film that we did before knowing how important sound is to record and sound pristine. Because if you're watching, if you're watching a film, you know, it's been said so many times, but if you're watching a film, you can forgive a slightly out of focus shot here or there, it not looking absolutely awesome. But if it sounds terrible and there's wind and rain and it's, and it's all echoey, people don't forgive that and they don't tend to carry on watching it. So we, mm. we got a sound recording in for this film, sound recorders didn't. Um, but other than that, it was still our same core cast and crew, sorry, our core crew of, um, yeah, Grant, my, Grant on camera with myself and directing, um, Laura's first AD and my partner just doing production design, um, catering and, um, everything else that she, you know, we had, we, we threw at her. Um, and, and again, really important roles, ca- catering on a, on a film like ours. Um, you you are paying people, but you're paying people very little. And 
you're having long days, people are tired, the higher quality of food that you can provide to people, I can't stress enough how important that is um, to keep people's energy levels up um, because you're asking them people to stand around for hours waiting for stuff and it just gets tiring. It gets, you know, and it just keeps up morale when they know they're going to sit down to a, to a good meal. Um, so, that yeah, that's that's uh, our, our week was separated from a, a schedule that we'd um, written out months in advance. Um, our film's quite complex, as in um, different um, time periods we're setting it in. Um, so we're having to reset sets constantly. So we had to know when we were filming things that we couldn't really move things around because if a room changed its look, it's going to be changed and you're not going to go back to do that and you're not going to have time to reset it because you've got three weeks. So um, making a feature, time is time is pretty much critical. Um, you run out it's you run out of it oh so easy the days are always longer than you expect them to be um and yeah you you are you you've got people for a finite amount of time especially when we were filming in covid and we had you know we had a set day for certain actors Mm -hmm. and especially charlotte who was going to go and film um the, the next season of um feel good straight after straight after uh, what we were doing, we had her for a certain amount of time and then she was gone. We were not going to get her back again. So yeah, you've got a, a very finite plot of time if you plan like we do. Um, and you, you're trying to just fit in as much as you can and make as high a quality as you can without overshooting or without undershooting. Um, and it's very easy to do, to do both. Very, very easy to do both. What had you learned on that film? that you didn't know before <laughs> that you can take through to the next one. <laughs> that's, that's a good point. Um, so, I mean, we, we were uninitiated in the real film business, you know, we did it the way that we thought that films, not the way that we thought that films were made. We, we did it the way that we self-taught ourselves. So from even, you know, it sounds silly. What do you put on a clapperboard and how do you use a clapperboard? Because I'm, I edit my own stuff, so I know what each clip is. Yeah. But when you go to make a feature and you've got all this content, there's a good reason for what's marked up on the clapperboard to be there. So we had our producer on uh, on set for the first day, and he was like, this is what you should be doing. And we were like missing out about 10 steps of what you should do before you even, like say, action. Um, so there was some really basics that we just didn't, do which you get away with when you're doing a short film or you've got very little content that you're having to put together or you're not working with professional actors so just some of the basics like that um and i think i think a lot of the rest of it we did sort of we knew because we'd done another film before it if we'd gone to this scale of film that we're working on now beforehand like straight away as our first film we would have really struggled without with the uh, lack of experience Mm -hmm. um so there wasn't a massive amount that we learned otherwise but and that's why we filmed it in a three-week block because again we filmed uh, a film uh, previously over a year's period and you're just asking people to come back come back come yeah. back and it's really difficult it's, it's wearing on them etc and you're asking people to and again you can't do that when, when you're using professional actors because you don't know they're going to be going to be available so we'd learned a lot from the last film that were brought into this film but this one we had a lot less learning um, other than I would have got that shot that I didn't get, which you get from the edit. You get from the edit and go, next time I'm going to not have seven takes of a close-up. I'm going to only take three 
maybe I won't get the quality that I wanted or the performance I wanted because, again, you've got a finite amount of time and I'm going to get three more angles mm. and bit have more coverage and be able to change the camera around. So I think that's probably, which come out in the edit, what would what extra stuff would we have got? Um, yeah, I think I think that was the the main thing is um, more from the edit. What could we have done and added into the film if we'd had just mixed up the the shot choices? Mm. You mentioned about the distribution. Can we talk a little bit about that? Because um, that's a kind of world that people might find interesting and seems a bit murky um, for an independent filmmaker. Why would a director or a producer or whoever is making a film want a distributor and not take it on themselves in terms of getting their film out there? What are the advantages to either process? I think, I think again, it comes down to experience um, from what a distributor has done and the contacts they've got. Mm. So our distributors got them across pretty much every streaming platform that we could I've hoped for in the UK, apart from Netflix, which is, you know, notoriously difficult. If you can go to Netflix, then, you know, you're going to make a lot of money, but it's difficult to get on there. Um, but, you know, you can put it on Amazon yourself, but not necessarily, you can't put it onto Sky. You know, our, mm-hmm. our film got onto Sky Store. It got onto um, YouTube Films. It got onto the Play Store, Microsoft Store. So there's just avenues that you can't get it onto. Now, there is, if you're making your very first film, you can get it onto Amazon. You can get it onto Prime. You can get it onto um, onto onto Vimeo potentially as well. Um, so it's not. You don't always have to go via a distributor to, to do it. it. Depends what you what you're aiming for, I guess. Um, we wanted to have as many eyeballs on the film as possible, and have a also um, have a bigger media network to be able to promote the film. Um, so we. We did a lot of our promotion on social media ourselves, adverts, etc. But the contacts that our distributor were able to get hold of via their marketing agency, again, we weren't able to, we would never be able to get hold of. So we were on Digital Spy, um, Hey You Guys, um, some really big like media outlets for a very small film. So I think that's the, that's the difference is the two things is the contacts that they've got that we couldn't have. But if I was just making a, my very first film, like I did for the last one, would I again throw it onto a distributor if it was a learning exercise? Maybe maybe not, because um, I guess you, you've got to see what your, what your hopes and um, dreams are for, for the film and, know, and knowing the quality of the project you've got. You know, is it good enough to be on Digital Spy and, and whatever else? And we felt that with this film, it will always go to that quality. But if you're making your first film and you're doing it for very low budget and a lot of it's a learning exercise, there's no shame in, in self-distributing it. And I think those platforms are opening up more and more so that you can do it. Um, so, and, and there is other, you know, there is, there is other people that, that do, you know, self, self-distribute. But I still think, I still think that, if you have no name behind you already like we did, you are going to need somebody to help you get the film out there. I'm sorry to interrupt the conversation at this point, but I wondered if I could ask if you might possibly consider subscribing to the podcast, rating it and writing a review on your favourite podcast provider. Doing these wonderful things encourages the all-powerful algorithms to push the podcast to new people. 
It's also helpful when I'm talking to potential future guests, as it shows that people are listening. Thank you. And what is that relationship then for a filmmaker with a distributor? How does it work? So, I mean, the amount of deliverables you have to give to a distributor is incredible, um, depending on depending on the distributor. In the UK, we have very few deliverables. In America, there was a lot. And when I say deliverables, you're delivering a film file, and then you're delivering every second, every single soundtrack for that film separated in a 5.1 or whatever it is separated to them. And then you may need to give them a version of the film that's got no titles on it because they're going to go and sell it in Spain. So they don't want any other text over the video. They'll have your credits, etc., but they don't want any text over video because they're going to change that. Um, they, they, they will want a subtitle file. They'll want um, – what else did they want? Um, ours got shown in some cinemas in America, so they wanted a um, cinema um, uh, file as well sending to them. Um, a um, file of, of all the music tracks used in there, how long the music track was and where it came in. And all this is like hours and hours of work that you've got to send to a distributor. And some of it, you know, is just in the contract just to, again, trip you up because if you didn't give it to them, they're not going to pay you X, Y, Z afterwards. Um, And, and you know, they're never going to use it, but that's part of the game. Um, So that is, that's the, that's one of the things you have to be mindful of is how much work is in post of just giving those deliverables over to a distributor. But then the relationship's pretty good, to be honest. Um, It's trying to be as open and honest as you can about what you want from the film and, and then get finding out exactly from the distributor what they're going to give you you know a lot of them will will try and take as much as they can you know they'll offer you a tiny percentage of the of the sales and you'll make you'll never make money back but if you're working with like good reputable people that you've 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 heard or you've had experience with via somebody else then it's it's a pretty good relationship to be honest and um yeah and the way that works is you pretty much will gets your earnings every quarter um, on the on the film. And that can be, it depends on the deal that you get, but usually it's on um, a, re- a revenue share of, you know, how many clicks it's had um, or how many sales it's it's had directly. Um, but yeah, it, 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 and it is, it's for a lot of people, it's the hardest thing is getting it into the hands of a good distributor. And again, that's why having good contacts will help you do that because I contacted with previous films, hundreds of distributors and never even got a mail back because we were nobodies. And they hadn't even, you knew they hadn't even watched the film, sure. but it's, 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 diff, it's difficult. But I think this is why I spoke about earlier, like having the first thing to show people that you can make a film for a certain budget, because the next thing you make, you go, look, I've made a film before I made it for this amount of money. Do you want to work with me on the next one? And that's how we got, that's how we got, our producers on board for this one. Um, so you will get better quality distributors, but it is hard getting into good distributors' hands um, because as we covered earlier, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there and everybody's everybody's aiming for like all the good distributors as well. But there's lots of sharks out there that will take your film, that will go, yeah, we'll, we'll take your film and we'll get it out there and they'll take every penny that, that it earns and you'll never see anything because they've spent a 25 grand on marketing. And you've never and you've never seen any marketing material come out of them. So you just have to be you have to be really savvy 
uh, and knowing that you're working with good people. Could you outline a bit of your history for me then, how you how you got into filmmaking and the previous projects as well? Yeah, of course. So I first started making films um, because I saw on the BBC website, when I was working nights, um, on an IT help desk, I, I would have loads of spare time, loads of spare time. You were basically like, the job was basically like working as a security guard for IT. So you were just waiting for things to go wrong. Yeah. Um, rather than proactively having to do stuff. So there was lots of spare time. Um, and on the BBC website popped up a story about 28 days later, which was the first film to be shot completely digitally. Um, and it was like made incredibly cheaply. And the BBC like had this big thing about like how it, how this was going to make it so much easier for filmmakers. And then I looked up like the type of cameras that we're using. Um, and then there was che- much cheaper cameras like than that coming out at mm-hmm. the time. Um, and this was early, in the early 2000s. I thought, this is what I wanted to do. I'd never even thought before that you could make, you know, you could make films. I loved film, but never thought you could make it. So I got a bunch of mates together and we, met, and we attempted to make a feature as our very first film. So that completely failed after two years of uh, trying, but we did make a couple of shorts Um and then we had a, a few years off and then we did make our first feature together, um, which was called Pal. And again, it was um, it was really fun to do, but it um, wasn't the highest quality. Um, we we did. We pushed loads of boundaries, learned loads of things, um, but it was never going to be something that was a distributor was going to pick up and you know, we're going to make a load of money. There was, it was just a, a brilliant learning exercise and working with, with really fun people. And then a couple of years later, two, three years later, I did make what I was classed as our first feature film called Never Rumble, which did get picked up by a distributor, uh, co-directed that with a, a guy called Lee Price. Um, and we worked on that for a year. Um, and again, just as I covered earlier, the challenges were you, you've, you've got to get keep getting people to come back. You've got to keep getting people to come back. We were filming, a lot of this stuff was filmed um, in a sh- shipping container. Um, so it was super hot in the summer um, to, to film in that. And um, and it was just the logistics of it was really di- was really difficult because we didn't really have a home base. We, fil- we had all the kit in like a barn and we're filming in this container. Um, but we learned loads from making that film, absolutely loads. Just, again, make, make your, your shooting block as sh- small as possible. Um, have a sound guy. Um, loads and loads, just, just tons of stuff we learned from it. Um, and we did get it distributed in America and, and in the UK. But again, we learned from the distributor we got to, to distribute it, that we didn't get the best deal in the world. And I think we've not seen a penny to this day from the film. It cost, it cost next to nothing, you know, a bit, it's still enough to uh, have a nice holiday on probably, but still in the scheme of things, it was a very, very low budget film, but the, the work, the, the learning out of it, you know, you, you couldn't quantify how much money you would spend on that learning in, in a film school, for example. Um, and then, yeah, made a um had a couple of years off again and then made a few short films and the quality of these short films was was getting markedly better as we made them mm. um again i covered it earlier but just improving the pr- production design it was the key that was one of the main things if i was to look at what do we do now better than 10 years ago that has made our film filmmaking so much better 
scripts and production design um, and um, are, are the main things. Not not talking about like using TV actors or anything like that. They are the main things that if you're shooting somebody against a white wall, you cannot make that white wall look any more interesting and the person in front of it any more interesting. You can, whatever camera angle you get at, it's not going to look interesting. But if you dress a set a certain way, it will look like a set that costs 10 times the amount of money. So that so the short films helped us learn that, oh, that works, that works. And if you use lights in this way, that works. Um, and that led on to, and that basically led on to uh, three years ago, making uh, repeat because we felt that we'd pretty much honed our craft of making shorts and we just wanted to tell a story that people were going to see. Mm. Great. Okay, thank you very much, Richard. What's next then? What's the next project? Is it in mind yet or not? It's, uh, it is and isn't, but it's uh-huh. like the most, most high level in my brain that something could be. It's not like even it's not even a story at the moment. It's the type of film, I guess, mm. is, is what's in my head, what type of thing I want to make. So we, it will be a feature. It'll be a feature again. Um, it'll probably be the same sort of stylization as Repeat was, which we want, you know, as far as you can with the budget we had and the experience we had, there's a sort of a, a Nordic sort of sci-fi film, if you if you imagine dark, gritty, um, uh, and but the next one's probably going to be sort of an investigate uh, again an, an investigative type of film where you you're uncovering something, um, and and again in that dark sort of world. But um, at this moment, yeah, not sure what that will be, but hopefully this year the script will be be written, and then next year we can get onto pre-production it would be the aim or maybe later this year if if we're lucky but yeah just getting over making repeaters uh probably taking me longer than expected but it's mm. it is a bug once you once you start doing this stuff um it's uh yeah it, it's it's it does become incredibly addictive and now we've got so many more contacts we know so many more people we start with nothing when we start repeat we know so many more people that can help us now and guide us it's incredible and and one thing i didn't cover as well it's easy for us to get this but um from filming repeat um our one of our producers was making another film called uh, code of silence craze code of silence as it's called now um and i was offered an editing job on that so i edited a film that cost 10 times or more around that like budget of repeat um and learned an awful lot of from editing code of silence which you know had a full crew on it a full post-production crew as well to work with and around and a much more experienced director so i learned a lot from working on code of silence as well that's that came directly after repeat um and that's again like um on DVD and on Sky Store and all those all those platforms and the same distribution di- uh, company released that as a, a, as repeat. So um, so yeah, my ta- although I say repeats the last thing I did, I've also edited another full feature film afterwards, and for and that was the first time I'd edited anybody else's work as well. So yeah. that was an interesting interesting thing. But next next will be yeah, I think something along the same lines as repeat, and hopefully the people who enjoyed that will enjoy what we do next. Cool. And that's so interesting, isn't it, that doing your own thing... I'm guessing the editing of that film wouldn't have come 
along had it not been for the fact that you were doing repeat and the, yeah so it, it's yeah, sort of, definitely talking to so many people for this it, it does come back to that thing i think i heard rob bryden say this first of all not to me just on an interview that i saw saying don't tell people what you can do show them and that comes up so much with creatives it's like you can send the cold emails and all the rest of it which we all have to do but it's when you've actually able to say to someone as you mentioned for for selling your movie look i've already done this once or i can do this don't believe me here it is you you have a look it's then convincing people to take that three minutes to actually look at it i guess but somebody will and it's it's just a bit of alchemy isn't it but if you've got a sort of back catalogue of whatever art it is that you create then you can show it to people that's a lot better than just saying it i suppose yeah, you're completely spot on. You're completely spot on. That you know the amount of people that have seen repeat and have enjoyed it. There'll be loads of people who don't enjoy it. You know, mm. it's it's a film. People won't enjoy Dune. People won't enjoy you know whatever quality of film you make. There'll be people who don't enjoy Jurassic Park. It doesn't matter what you make, and it's hard. There will be people who don't enjoy it. But as long as you've got a film, something that enough in pe- people enjoy that sort of weighs the balance and goes, oh, we haven't made something that's totally shit. Hmm. As long as you've got a, de- a decent balance um, to do that and you start to get a little bit of a reputation for somebody who can can do what you say you're going to do, um, then, it, it, yeah, you're right. It, it's having that product to show people. and Because nobody would have thought from our shorts what we did with repeat. No, th- there was no chance that people could do that. but. But when you're working with producers, again, like ours, that could see from that very small thing that we'd created, if you like made made that much bigger and you had a bit more budget, Mm. as long as you get in touch with people who've got a bit of imagination that can see that. But, you know, to the uninitiated that's just seen your shorts, they probably couldn't see you're going to do that. But if you're working with people, again, that have come from the same background or size of project, project, then... Yeah, you're right. As long as you've got something to show them to say, look, I can do what you've done in the past, and and then you put it in front of them, then you're right. The, the words words only take you so far. You have got to have an end product at, at some point to put in front of somebody to say, look, look we, we can do this. Mm. And hopefully repeat is that for us, that template that means that we're, you know, we're making something a bit bigger next time. And, and it doesn't have to be, you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds it but something that doesn't constrain you as much um that's that's the dream is you know just get a few more thousand pounds what could we do with double the budget yeah um is the aim for us great richard thank you so much that's been fascinating if people want to keep up with your projects and in particular what's repeat what's the best way for them to do that that is best for you or, or you're not bothered <laughs> <laughs> they can do what they like um bodyinthebox.com is our um, main website and um, so if, if you go to bodyinthebox.com our contact details are on there and also uh, there's a link to repeats website on there which shows you all the links links to that but it's on most streaming platforms mm. fantastic richard thank you so much and um speak to you again soon yeah thanks very much enjoyed it thank you for listening i hope you enjoyed that join us next time on the robert lane creative careers podcast until then please subscribe rate and review and have a look at robertlanemusic.co.uk to see the other projects i'm working thank you goodbye